Parish. It's Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. And the biggest development since we last recorded is obviously the NCAA's decision to uphold the punishment for what is widely known as Louisville stripper scandal. It was announced Tuesday afternoon that the Cardinals are going to vacate their 2012 Final Four appearance and their 2013 National Championship. So Louisville is now one of only three schools to vacate multiple Final Fours. The others are Memphis and Michigan and Louisville is now also the first school to ever vacate a national championship in men's basketball. So it was a big headline, uh, but hardly a surprise because we we've sort of known it was headed this direction since last June. Like it never even occurred to me that Louisville had a chance to win on appeal. So then when it lost its appeal, I wasn't really surprised. I've just figured it was going to be that way. Uh, but let me ask you this, Norlander. We'll just start here. Um, not a surprising outcome. Was it the correct outcome? Did the NCAA, given the way it does things, did the NCAA do this correctly? I'm going to answer this. Yes. I'll say, I'll say yes, even though I hate that I'm saying yes, because uh, I hate vacating national championships and vacating victories. It is almost like the uh, the trump card that the NCAA has – when it's really just a whatever kind of punishment. But there are a number of ways that we can discuss this, and let's make sure that we do that right now. Because I, I do hate it. I think it's stupid. Um, I find it mostly hollow. But I do acknowledge that because Rick Pitino has lost a national championship officially uh, at the hands of the NCAA, and because Louisville has had its national championship taken away, it has to take down a banner. It has to give back the national championship trophy. Um, that That's not necessarily just symbolic. That's actually physical in nature. And this was a, a powerful decision because there has been speculation for basically nearly a decade that people wondered if the NCAA would have um, – you know, the gumption to take away a Memphis national championship if Kansas hadn't come back, won that game, and then Derrick Rose was later found to be ineligible. There were a lot of people that thought um, that wouldn't happen. But on the heels of what we see here, uh, you can certainly make the argument that it could. I don't think it really um, is, a, is a punishment that suffices. I don't like the fact that it is, an, that is something that's part of the process. I've had people in the NCAA tell me um, that it's kind of silly and ridiculous, but given how the vacation of wins and the removal of, of, of victories from coaches who oversaw programs that did um, things that broke that broke rules, essentially. Um, they're never going to change that, or at least I don't think they're they're ever going to change that part of the protocol, even though it's a, it's subject to, you know, practically annual mockery when it comes to the NCAA. Um, what are your thoughts on on the NCAA continuing to do this. I'll get to a couple of the other punishments in just a second here. But purely as it pertains to taking them out of the record books, what are your – like, do you agree with the practice in principle? I don't love it, but I also don't know that there's a great alternative. Like, once you find out that, you know, a program in some form, whatever form, cheated to achieve what it achieved – to not make that part of the official record, um, like, seems, I, I don't know, wrong in that way, right? Like, what if we found out Louisville cheat, or let's go back to the Fab Five. Michigan undeniably cheated to achieve those things. If we just pretended that it didn't happen, um, that would, that, I don't, I don't think people would like that. You know, people always say, hey, you gotta punish, you know, the people who were involved. Not just punish a program going forward because what is often the case is uh, the people who were responsible for whatever happened uh, aren't even around anymore. Like that's the case with 1996 UMass. Uh, we can argue for you know an hour if you want about whether UMass deserved to, to vacate that Final Four. But UMass did or, or what John Calipari knew or did not know. But you know the, what they found, the NCAA, is that – you know, Marcus Camby accepted impermissible benefits while he was a student athlete competing at UMass. Um, therefore, we're going to vacate those things. But by the time they get around to doing it, 
Marcus Camby's gone. John Calipari's gone. Like the two biggest figures from the greatest moments of UMass basketball were gone by the time the NCAA got around to punishing it. And so it seems that taking those achievements away in whatever sort of official capacity is is sort of the only thing you can do, even if it doesn't erase a memory. And it actually doesn't erase it from the record book either. Those things are still in books somewhere. They're not hard to look up. They are just um, labeled a, a, a certain way. So I don't love it, and I understand why – you know, players who are, you know, whether it's Kevin Ware on Twitter yesterday, players who are caught up in these types of seasons that are vacated, they say, hey, I'll, I'll always remember the wins. I've still got a ring. You know, I still can go on YouTube and watch me make that shot. You know, I've talked to enough of the Memphis guys, you know, Antonio Anderson specifically. Like he's like, no, we, we played in that game. You know, I was there. Um, I'll have that memory forever. We will have that memory forever. But I will tell you that when you walk into FedEx Forum, there is no evidence that that ever happened. You know what it's like to be in a, uh, a basketball program's practice facility. Like, how about this? You go to Allen Fieldhouse. There is a basically a mural, if I'm remembering correctly, of Mario Chalmers hitting that shot. It is celebrated and visible. You can't miss it. You walk in a Memphis practice facility, and you know they could have Joey Dorsey dunking on. Kevin Love or Chris Douglas Roberts dunking on Kevin Love, whoever it was that dunked on Kevin Love in that, I was going to say memorable dunk, but I can't quite recall it right now. Um, you know, that would be up somewhere. There's no no images from that uh, NCAA tournament. No Dozier so, for the championship. There is no Dozier for the championship. And that matters. You know, Memphis has been to three Final Fours in three decades with um, with three different coaches. But there's only one Final Four banner hanging in FedEx Forum. The other two have been vacated. And so that, that's not an empty thing. Um, it, you know, when, I guess I would say this. When you walk into any number of places, but, but certainly the Dean Smith Center, that's the one that stands out to me, where the banners are just like, wow. Like when you walk into to Cameron Indoor or some other places, there are a lot of things that stand out. What What – what stands out at the Dean Smith Center are, are the banners. You know, there's Jordan's number. There's the national championships. And if they weren't there for some reason, it would change. It would change that place. And so, um, you know, it is a punishment in some form. It's not a perfect punishment. And I don't even know if it's a necessary punishment. Um, I usually have strong opinions one way or another on things like this. Um, I, on this subject, I don't love vacating. But I don't know what the alternative to vacating actually would be because if you said we will allow you to claim those things that you achieved while cheating, well, I think that's fundamentally wrong. But but B, instead your punishment will all be going forward, you know, real scholarship reductions, real postseason bans, perhaps even television bans. In other words, we're not going to hit your past as much as we're going to hit your future. I do think that's a more severe way to to to, to punish a program. But then you are getting right back into what so many people say they don't like, which is you're punishing largely people who had nothing to do with what happened um, you know, that, that was in violation of NCAA rules. In other words, if the NCAA announced yesterday, okay, you can keep your stupid championships and Final Fours and Rick Pitino, we're not going to touch his record because we don't vacate things anymore. But what we're going to do is really hammer Louisville going forward. Major financial penalties, um, multi-year postseason ban, um, scholarship reductions. Well, think about all the people who were at Louisville when this stuff went down who aren't at Louisville now. It's like a completely different cast of characters. So would that be uh, would that be the right way? I don't know. I struggle with this one honestly. I, and so I guess to answer your question, I I don't love vacating wins or championships or Final Fours because it doesn't erase the memories. Um, but I, I, I almost think it might be necessary, even if it is largely mocked. Yeah, there's something so uh, laughably poetic about the fact that now no one won the 2013 national championship. For all intents and purposes, the game was just never played as far as the NCAA is concerned. Even though we were there, we saw it. And you make a good point. Um, at the site right now, I've got a list of the 20 programs in Division One, Two, and Three. Uh, not basketball, I'm talking all sports, NCAA-sanctioned sports, that the NCAA has um, taken away from, from those programs. And it, it's it's everything from Howard Men's Soccer in 1971 to St. Augustine, I think it's tennis, like in the past two years. Um, 
varying it was reasons. Long overdue for St. Augustine to get what was coming to it. I think everybody in, in the tennis world knew that. Powerhouse program, by the way. It might even be track and field. I forget. I, I did. There was a whole bunch of them. But all I know is I went and I looked, and St. Augustine's won like eight of the past fourteen of these things. But the whole point is when you go and check NCAA record books or check NCAA.org, they are still listed as having won the championship in that year. There's just a little symbol next to uh, the year uh, that's been vacated, and at the bottom of the list it says championship later vacated or whatever it says. So it's not as even if this is being totally taken from the records. Like people 70 years from now are going to be able to look back and see, oh, no, Louisville won the 2013 national championship, but then it got taken away. Okay, but I see that they won. So even then, when you're vacating the title, you're not even stripping um, all acknowledgement within within official record books. Obviously, Louisville's official documents are going to have them, albeit with asterisks, and the NCAA itself. So uh, the NCAA is fine with being a punching bag on this particular punishment. I, I kind of find it to be a joke. And I personally, I have no issue with going forward because here's the deal. Yes, you lose – the people that were involved in the cheating and they're no longer there and they're not subject to punishment. But guess what? Part of the punishment is that they lost their jobs. Many, In many instances, people lost their jobs in which they were making millions of dollars and were lauded and were famous. So that's part of the punishment that they have. To, and, and by the way, now there's forever a stain on Rick Pitino's reputation for a number of issues here. But now that you give human beings the choice going forward, I am very much in favor for the NCAA trying to adopt a policy in which – it's forward-looking in its punishments. It says, okay, going forward, here's here's the scholarship reductions, the probation, the money you're going to be fined, potential postseason bans. And before these things go into effect, anyone that's a member of these programs has the option to leave, go elsewhere, because what it ultimately does is it punishes the being that is the program, and you give people alternatives, transfer without restriction, any and all of that, any staff members that are – a part of this, uh, you know, current program. If you choose to stay on and, and deal with this problem, well, that's your choice. But if you'd like to leave and seek employment elsewhere, if you're good enough, you'll find it. That I'm more in favor of. And by the way, hitting schools in the pocketbook is where I think it has the most significant punishment. But Louisville is not uniquely built, but one of the true seven to ten programs that could actually take the approximate $600,000 hit that's been reported in terms of NCAA tournament earnings that it's going to have to give back. My last note on this, there is inherent massive hypocrisy with the NCAA with all of this because undeniably, and as someone pointed out on Twitter yesterday, it was selling 2013 Louisville National Championship gear on its own site. Is the NCAA going to be returning the money that it received for people that purchased things? NCAA affiliated, Louisville affiliated with that 2013 championship Obviously, that won't be the case. So it is caught forever, as we speak about honestly monthly on this podcast, in this moral quandary overall. All I know is the Louisville reign from 2011 to 2018, its existence to me is going to be tainted for decades to come. And that in and of itself is, is sort of punishment enough because this has become the identity of the program in a lot of ways, and it will simply not be able to shake that if we look up in 2023 and they're making a charge to the Final Four. That'll be a great story then. We'll write about it. We'll talk about it. Lord willing, the Ion College Basketball Podcast will still be rolling strong, hopefully at at no more than three episodes a week. (laughs) But you get my point, GP. Like, this is this has become part of what Louisville represents. You had Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon on part of the interruption yesterday, and listen, this was an overreaction, but saying, how does this school not have the death penalty? Like, they still have the FBI stuff coming. And although they were a little bit off the mark in there, the, the point generally stands. Like, Louisville represents some of the grossest things about college athletics and also some of the things that the NCAA needs to clean up in regard to itself because you have this, which was terrible with the strippers and the sex acts and all that, and then you got the FBI investigation. The NCAA eventually get its hands on that, and you could see even harsher punishments going forward with Louisville, albeit that won't be for, in my opinion, at least a year. I think as far as the death penalty, just the NCAA just doesn't want to go there ever again. It doesn't appear because, honestly, if you were going to hit hit a program, it wouldn't it be this one, you know, the program that stood beside a coach who went through an incredible personal scandal, then watched that coach oversee a program that, with or without his knowledge, was bringing strippers and prostitutes onto campus, um, you know, 
on the on the dime of a university employee uh, for prospects and players, some of whom helped them win games. Then they were, and not only games, but championships. Then they were caught. Somehow the coaching staff outside of Andre McGee survives it. And within a month of learning that they were going to have to vacate a 2013 national championship unless they miraculously won on appeal, which we found out Tuesday they weren't going to do, um, they had members of the same coaching staff or at least members of the same staff run by the same man literally negotiating a six-figure payment to a five-star prospect's family to get him to enroll. Like if that's not death penalty stuff, I don't know what is. Like, yo, we caught you. You're lucky to still like have a basketball program, and now you just like, hey, the strippers and prostitutes weren't enough. Like we got caught, but like now we got to go two hundred thousand dollars for or whatever the number was for Brian Bowen. Like to get caught cheating, be punished for it, and then immediately go back to cheating. Like in theory, that that should be death penalty stuff. But I just don't think the uh, I think what Kornheiser and Wilbon are yelling about, and I didn't see the the the, the piece, but is rooted in a solid place, but it's just the NCAA is just not going there. It doesn't appear because, with anybody because, like, that's worth it. If, if you've got a death penalty on the table and you're ever going to use it, that'd be a place – Louisville would be the place to use it. I don't disagree with that, Parrish, and, I do, and I, I'm with you in that uh, they're just not going to go there. But when you step back and look at what has happened here – um, in two cases, and, and while Louisville was on probation for the matter we're talking about and then had assistance, you know, per the FBI in hotel rooms saying, hey, we got to keep this on the down low. We want to get this kid. Let's see how much money we can send to him or his representatives and all that. It's a, it's a, flagrant, it's a flagrant violation, and it's why I think the next six weeks are going to be interesting with Louisville in terms of if it decides to keep – uh, David Pageant or not, this is a bubble team right now, and if it doesn't and wants to hire a big coach, listen, it's still an appealing job, but there are still a lot of unknowns out there, and the NCAA is not, I assure you, the people working for the NCAA are not tone deaf. It might seem like that, and it's an easy criticism and talking point, but they are going to intake all of the reaction to this um, to this punishment, and then they're going to take on the next case in regard to the FBI and they're going to say, listen, we've got no, we've got no national championship and we've got no final four to take away from this program. But, uh, but they were, they were, you know, they had assistants going to hotel rooms, talk about trying to, to funnel money under the table and use the, the black market, which that's another issue. We won't get into it. Um, but they're probably going to try and hit them as, you know, going forward even more. It would not shock me if they faced a postseason ban going forward because of that. Maybe they won't, but I think the NCAA will certainly put that option on the table. Um, but to circle back to your point, yes. The, if there was ever a program where you could make an argument, death penalty. And for those that hear that term and are not quite sure, that means for a full calendar year, you do not have operations at your program. Louisville basketball would not exist for a season. It would stop, and the players would go elsewhere, and then you have to rebuild from that. Um, that's just not going to happen. Um, so, so here we are with this, and uh, I just I think I think vacating wins is stupid. Um, we, we're all there. We saw what happened. We're not going to forget about it. There's highlights. There's videos. Those will continue to be shown. But obviously, Louisville will not hang the banner anymore. I am curious to see where that banner will be kept. Obviously, it will be kept somewhere. Perhaps a good 10, 15 years from now, an intrepid reporter will uh, will cover the story. GP, one last thing. I did not realize this when I built out my list of the 20 programs who've had their national championships vacated by the NCAA. But I don't know if, like, an NCAA representative will go to Louisville and go and, like, pick up the trophy. Or if it's, like, on Louisville to just, like, go to drive to the UPS and just, like... Put it in the mail. I don't know how that works, right? But someone had mentioned to me, and there's a whole documentary about the 1990 Syracuse men's lacrosse program, which was a powerhouse at the time, apparently, like, honestly, like, the top of the sport, and it got its national championship taken away. So kind of similar to Louisville in a lot of ways. But apparently, like, when all this went down, before the NCAA, I guess, was going to come and pick up the trophy because it was – obviously a huge dispute between the university and the NCAA. Syracuse just flat out hid the trophy and never told the NCAA where it was at. And to this day, no one has disclosed the location of this of this uh, national championship trophy for men's lacrosse. I think that's kind of awesome because 
there is inherently every time one one of these things happens, there is a massive disagreement between program and, and NCAA. And at the end of the day, you have you know Vince Tyra or, or, or Greg Postel just saying, "We think the NCAA is wrong. We think the NCAA is wrong. We don't agree with this. We don't want to do this." But they still do it. They still take down the banner. They still return the trophy, even though they would obviously love not to. Um, I just found the Syracuse note to be particularly interesting. And if Louisville wanted to hide its trophy, that would be amazing. Obviously, that's not going to happen, though. They should let Rick keep it. <laughs> right? Just sit to Rick and, uh, and, and let him have it forever. I've never understood why you couldn't just say, eh, we don't know where it is. What are you going to do? You can't prove I know where something is. How are you going to prove I know where something is? I, I I don't know if that's a fight worth fighting, but it's it's a fun fight. It, <laughs> it very much it's, is. Yes, it's at least a hilarious fight. Couple of things. Um, Jeff Calkins, the columnist in Memphis, actually did a story on the 2008 banner for the University of Memphis. It's like in a closet, like somewhere at the. It was at the Fence Center. Now I I suppose it's uh, or maybe it was in the athletic office building, but it's it's like just in a closet on campus somewhere, like just fold it up and like hey we just keep it here. You know, it's just here's our here's our 2008 uh, Final Four banner. So I imagine it'll be similar with Louisville. They'll just have it. Yeah, there will be somebody ten years from now who will you know go ask somebody, hey, do you know where that is? And they'll ask somebody else, and they'll ask somebody else, and they'll they'll find it in a closet or you know in a storage somewhere. That really is like the way uh, that it goes. Um, you touch on something about the future of Louisville that I, I think is interesting because we discussed this last night on. Inside college basketball, and one of the things my friend and colleague John Rostein said is that he doesn't think this will have any impact on the type of candidate Louisville is um, is capable of hiring, assuming that David Padgett doesn't get the job full time. And I'm not so sure that's true for the reasons that you point out. There is another scandal out there, the one that actually cost Rick Pitino his job, that – is still in a stage of infancy, and nobody really knows where it's going. And the last thing you'd want to do, if you're, say, Chris Mack, is leave your alma mater, a place that you've got rolling, to go to Louisville, and then they come back and hit you with a postseason ban or scholarship reductions. Like, coaches like to know what they're walking into. Who's my boss? What's the roster look like? Do we have an NCAA cloud? Well, at Louisville, there's going to be an FBI cloud and an NCAA cloud. Those things are both going to exist you know, a month from now, which is going to be when they're trying to hire a coach, if not earlier. And I do think – I mean I don't want to speak for Chris or any other candidate that might be for the Louisville job. Chris's name is obviously attached to it more frequently than anybody else's. But that would concern me. Like hold up. Okay, I'm going to – first off, it's hard enough to just leave your – alma mater that you got rolling in the top 10 of the AP poll. You've been to four straight NCAA tournaments, two sweet 16s. Like, life's pretty good. Uh, I, I'm not just leaving this place for anything. I'm not on the hot seat. It's not time to bounce. I could go down as a legend here. Like, p- put me a statue up. Um, but but, I, but I'll listen to Louisville because they got a lot of money. And it's obviously easier to win at Louisville, or at least it should be easier to win at Louisville than it is at, at Xavier. At least historically, that's been the case. But what am I walking into? Who's going to be my boss? Like these are all things that I think will affect their their coaching search. Do you do you agree? I do agree. And man, Chris Mack's name has been so loosely attached to the Louisville job. I do not speak for Chris. I've not even asked Chris about this off the record or anything. But if I'm Chris Mack and I really have it going at Xavier, and I don't have any sort of assurances that Louisville won't face a one, let alone a potential multi-year postseason ban for further violations there's no way i understand that louisville when it's rolling and all of this is removed it's undoubtedly a top 10 job in the sport but there's just no way like i understand that villanova keeps winning my league and i can't get over the hump with jay wright but other than that i'm making elite eights i'm getting i'm getting top tier seating i'm recruiting at a high level why am i going to take the louisville job when it might honestly just stall my career by a good three to five years I, I I don't find it to be such an automatic thing. Now, if we come to learn that that's not going to be the case, obviously it changes the discussion, but I don't think that's where we're at right now. The other thing, um, what if we find out Louisville's just been cheating like crazy the whole time? All right, now you can't. Like, that job's harder. Yeah. Like, if somebody's won at a particular job by cheating, and we at least know in two different ways, allegedly, that Louisville was cheating, 
um, in two different times, then and you know then then that suggests that that's the way they got that done. So people look at the Louisville program and they say, well, like that that's one of the, like that's a program you can win at. Like that's one of the top ten programs in America. If you're cheating, like what is it if you're not? Is it still the same type of deal? I think probably so. It's still a great job, but these are all things I would consider. And I, like you, would never tell another man what to do with his career. What matters to me might not matter to somebody else. I bet you I haven't made every career choice that um, when placed in front of me, somebody else wouldn't have made a different decision for different reasons. But what mattered to me matters to me, and what matters to somebody else might matter to somebody else. So I don't say Chris Mack would be dumb to go to Louisville. But I will say this. Um, there's a lot of things that would give me pause, and this may or may not be worth anything, but I was talking with somebody who who knows Chris well uh, not too long ago, and we were just talking about this and that and whatever, and suddenly the Louisville job came up, and this person never mentioned Chris as a possibility. Like when we were talking about who Louisville might hire… This person like never said, well, you know, you know, Chris, you know, they, they could maybe do Chris. Like everybody else has mentioned Chris, but this person who actually knows Chris didn't even mention Chris as a possibility, as if he knew that that wasn't or believed that that wasn't a likely scenario, um, which I, I thought was interesting. I didn't stop him and say, well, what about what about Chris? But I thought it was interesting that this person probably brought up five different people, and none of them were 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 Chris Mack. And so, if you're a Xavier fan, again, I don't know what that means, but. I at least found it interesting, and and that's the thing. You know, if 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 recruiting wasn't going well, relatively speaking, at Xavier, or um, they weren't humming along at a at a top ten level, you know, that's been a that's been a consistent top twenty program, um, you know, for for the past four or five years, and really the only thing standing between it and you know, the, like it's Villanova. They got a Villanova problem, but they don't have a problem with anybody else or anything else. And um, I think they've become a big enough brand now where, you know, that, that resonates. I think re recruiting probably get easier going forward. I just don't. I, I again, I'm projecting here. I don't know if I leave my alma mater, that's humming along at this level, to go walk into unknowns at at Louisville. We don't know who the, you know, AD is going to be. Um, we don't know. We don't know a lot of things. You know, where this FBI investigation is going to lead. And those were those would be red flags that made me think, you know what, there may be a next job for me, but I don't know if it's this job. There may be a next job for me, a big job for me, but I don't know if it's this job um, right now. Although – and we'll move on after this, but it's also worth noting all the people involved in this are no longer working in college athletics and I don't think are going to be in college athletics. So like who's the NCAA going to talk to? Mm -hmm. You know, like, they, 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 hey, okay, we want to talk to Rick Pitino, but what happened? No, nah, I don't want to talk to you. He's under no obligation to talk to them anymore. Um, any of the Louisville assistants who were wrapped up in this, so basically everybody except David Padgett, um, they are under no obligation to talk to the NCAA. Uh, Brian Bowen is is technically in school, a student athlete, so he theoretically would be and his parents would be, but uh, we might reach a place where it becomes clear that Brian's not playing college basketball ever. So then the parents have no obligation to talk to the NCAA. I just wonder, you know, I, I believe this is true. It's not enough for the NCAA just to accept somebody else's investigation. They tried that with Penn State. didn't work out so well. They need to be able to prove these things on their own, and I think they might have a tough time proving them. They do not have subpoena power like the FBI does, and they're not going to be able to talk to these people um, the way the FBI, the FBI can. So it might all lead to nowhere, but there's just no way to know that for sure. No way to know for sure, and it, what, what will be uh, interesting about the Louisville case in general is the FBI cleared Bowen uh, and has cleared Bowen basically. You know, put his you know, said you know, our as it pertains to our investigation involving the college basketball bribery and fraud case, uh, Brian Bowen is no longer subject to our investigation. Um, I don't know if that will help his case at all at the NCAA level or not. But the NCAA will, if it cannot get cooperating uh, behavior and, and sit down interviews from people involved here, um, does it choose to use for the record and for the purposes of its formal investigation of findings, things that were uncovered on wiretaps from the federal government or not? That's, and they've never had to deal with that before. So I don't know if they're going to or not. You make a good point. It remains to be seen if they wind up saying – 
or, or deciding we couldn't get X, Y, and Z to sit down with us. And in absence of that, we know per on you know per things that were discovered and handed over to us from the FBI, if that even does happen, no assurances that it does. Um, wiretaps, recorded phone conversations, all that. Um, here's what we do have, and so we're gonna we're we are finding this information to be sufficient enough to levy the kind of penalties that we have here. We're gonna talk about this so much more <laughs> down the road, but that's just to give people an idea of what could still be coming. Many, many, many miles to travel before we get there. Now let's move on. But first, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring right now? Just posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. And these invitations, uh, they've revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter uh, for their hiring needs. And right now, listeners of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's free, 100% free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. That's E-Y-E-O-N, E-Y-E-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. It's ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. On Tuesday night, Rhode Island and Michigan State both secured at least a share of their league titles. And I think Michigan State's only got to beat Wisconsin this weekend. Rhode Island's only got to win one more game, and they'll both win outright titles. So those were, were big stories. Um, particularly for Rhode Island, which hasn't won a conference championship since. Do you know the? Do you know this? 1981. Yeah, it's been forever, um, which has been the surprising thing. But yeah, they've they've traditionally done. Uh, they've underperformed in league play, even in the few random years where they were good in the tournament. So those were big accomplishments on on Tuesday night, but also um, not unexpected. Rhode Island was supposed to win at LaSalle, and it did. Michigan State was supposed to beat Illinois, and it did. And that's all they had to do to get a share of those league titles, so whatever. The big story, I think, was Kentucky winning on the road, 87-72 at Arkansas. I don't know if you remember, but we were going through and picking games on uh, Sunday night, and we both took Arkansas at home, at which point I actually said the words – uh, Norlander and I both uh, are going with Arkansas, which means Kentucky probably wins by 15 points. Kentucky actually won by 15 points, 87-72 uh, at Arkansas. And what was interesting, and you wrote about this over the weekend, um, you, you know, they're starting to they, they might have found a lineup that works, and the lineup doesn't include Hamadou Diallo. He played a season low 10 minutes at Arkansas, and you can argue that Kentucky got. It's its best win of the of the year, a quadrant one win, a 15 point win over an Arkansas team on the road that's going to play in the NCAA tournament. So uh, I don't want to spend another 15 minutes on this because I do want to get to some Wednesday games. But, um, you know, for Kentucky to go from four game losing streak to win over Alabama, you know, you and I both said like, you know, OK, is, does that mean they figure some things out or did they just play a flawed Alabama team at home? You know, 20,000 people inside Rupp Arena. Like, they, of course, they were going to win that game. Let's see what happens at Arkansas because you're not just going to win that one because, you know, you, it's a scheduled win. Like Alabama inside Rupp Arena is a scheduled win. That's a scheduled loss. And so let, let's see what happens. And they went and they they got down big early and then just rolled and especially pulled away uh, in the second half. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised, but it's February 21st. March isn't too far away. And John Calipari's got a group of young guys starting to play their best basketball, which is more often than not the way that it goes. And I think the Diallo development is pretty interesting because people remember, I, I'm sure, you know, he was like literally last second pulling out of the NBA draft and decided to come to school. And there's a chance, not a guarantee, but a chance he'd have been a first-round pick based off of, man, he can run and jump, and nobody's really seen him play a whole lot of basketball. Well, now we've seen him play a whole lot of basketball. And um, I, I say this as nicely as I can say it, but he, he doesn't appear very good at it. And now Kentucky has sort of moved him away from the court. And this might be an example of somebody who should have taken the money before. And, and this sounds like such a harsh word, uh, but before he, he, he might have been exposed a little bit at the Division One level, because right now 
and he's still super young. So like, <laughs> let's not give up on his career. But uh, I, I promise you, if we had the draft tonight, he would not get picked wherever it was. He would have been picked last June. Yeah, and what's interesting about Kentucky's, uh, you know, Diallo, Wenyan Gabriel, Nick Richards, they're all in the starting lineup, but it's Quade Green, Jared Vanderbilt, PJ Washington coming off the bench, combined with Shea Gilgis Alexander, continues to be just a really fun player to watch and a just a great all-around player. And uh, you combine that with with Kevin Knox, who had 23. It's good, man. I listen. Here's the big picture statement: Kentucky. Shot 38% from three-point range, which is an improvement for them, and was able to win by 15 on the road against a reasonably probable NCAA tournament opponent. Um, Arkansas is not for sure in, but I think it's still going to be able to get enough to get into the field, and that's a big step forward for the Wildcats. They next will have Missouri. We'll preview that game on the Friday podcast. Missouri took a horrendous home loss to an Ole Miss team that's not even coached by Andy Kennedy anymore. Shouts to Tony Madlock, though. Yeah, no, hey, listen, absolutely. Shouts to T-Bone. No doubt about it. I don't know if anyone calls him that. I don't even know why (laughs) I I just called him that. Tony Madlock, (laughs) T-Bone. But regardless of that, T-Bone got his guys going. (laughs) Uh, In Columbia, Missouri took a bad loss, and now Missouri's facing a – just a, a tricky situation with Kentucky. Good on UK. I think Palm's got him on the six line right now. You look at their entire resume. I think that's actually. Pro- I probably have him as a soft six. I think that's just about right at this moment. But uh, if they might, they might have. They might have uh, the five that that work best together. And who knows? Maybe we wind up seeing Calipari shrink his roster a lot, and they might use a, uh, a six at most seven man rotation in the second half of games that are actually important. Okay, so Wednesday night, uh, we got a, a handful of, of, of interesting games. Not that big, you know, top 10 team versus top 10 team matchup, but a lot of, of games where ranked teams are, are on the road and, and susceptible to a loss. So let's run through them, uh, real quick. And, uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, uh, just, just end it now. Or, let, or mute it. And this let is going to be a great segment. What are you talking about? Everyone listen to every second that's about to come. The stage wisdom that's going to just come into your ears right now. Go ahead, Parrish. Okay, so Texas Tech at Oklahoma State. That's number six Texas Tech at Oklahoma State. Texas Tech's a three-and-a-half point favorite, but obviously Oklahoma State's good enough to beat you in, in that building. Um, and, you know, with the way Kansas is playing now, like this is a game that could – everybody's focused on this weekend, Kansas-Texas Tech. Um, but – like if Texas Tech loses this one, it almost ensures that Kansas is going to win at least a share of a 14th straight title. I guess I shouldn't say that considering how many games Kansas has lost that we didn't think it would lose. But Texas Tech would fall one game back. So even if it were to beat Kansas this weekend, they'd still be tied heading into the what final two games of the regular season. And I don't think Kansas is going to be projected to lose uh, either one of those. Let me double check it now. Um, okay, so – if Texas Tech were to lose Wednesday night, and then even if they beat Kansas um, on Saturday, they're still tied again with two to play, and the two are for Kansas at, uh, at Texas at home and then at Oklahoma State. They'll be favored in, in both of those games, and Texas Tech would be closing at West Virginia and at home against TCU. So Texas Tech's remaining schedule, the last two games, would be, I think, on paper more difficult than Kansas's. My point is, like, tonight's a big game. If you're tr- Not so much for Texas Tech, but if you are trying to – I mean, it is for Texas Tech, obviously. But if you're if you are somebody rooting for Kansas not to win a fourth straight Big 12 title, you better be rooting like crazy for Texas Tech tonight because if Texas Tech loses Wednesday night, we almost – it's almost game, set, match. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State is going to win this game if Keenan Evans does, in fact, not play in this game. He's Texas X's best player. He is uh, certainly making a case for first-team All-America status. We'll see if he can continue that. We'll see how long he's out with that toe injury. I will take my Boynton's team to win this. And in doing so, they're still not they're not in the field or anything. They'll just If they win, they'll have defeated Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas. Both of those games were on the road. Oklahoma, Texas, Florida State. They're just going to have a lot of good wins, but they've racked up 12 losses at this point. Oklahoma State's going to have to win like four games between now and Selection Sunday to actually be an interesting bubble case. Yeah, I I think Oklahoma State probably wins this game too, especially if Keenan Evans doesn't play, but um, but we'll see. Number 10, North Carolina at Syracuse. Syracuse very much uh, on the bubble, and North Carolina coming off of 
everything blends together. Didn't they beat Louisville pretty easily at the Yum Center? Yeah. On on Saturday night, so uh, North Carolina a four point favorite. Um, you know, both teams need a, a win, I guess. But Syracuse probably, you know, if you're trying to go to the NCAA tournament, notching a, a quadrant one win over the Tar Heels would. Uh, you know, North Carolina doesn't need. They're not on the bubble. They're ranked in the top ten. Syracuse is still. You know, on most people's bubbles. So it's a big opportunity for the Orange. Syracuse is just trying to get back that throne of being the best program in the state of New York right now because I'm not sure they got it. St. Bonaventure is looking pretty uh, pretty good right now. But the Orange, this is a humongous opportunity here. Um, I'm going to take North Carolina on the road. I think it's a much better team than Syracuse, honestly. But if Syracuse wins, okay, then we'll give them some love on the next podcast. We'll start assessing their tournament chances, uh, this would go a very long way because Syracuse has to play at Duke on Saturday. I see almost no chance that they can win that game. It's always uh, fun being in studio when the Orange are playing a big game because uh, given that it's a television studio, a studio I'm surrounded by Syracuse alums. So it turns into uh, quite a, uh, a quite an atmosphere, and I'm sure tonight uh, will be no different. I think North Carolina wins on the, on the road, though. I think North Carolina is just a, um, a way better team. And, you know, that win at Louisville was was impressive. They handled Louisville uh, pretty much from the uh, opening tip. Now, I don't think Louisville's that good, but I think I do think Louisville's like comparable to Syracuse. So, yeah, I'll take North Carolina to win um, to win in the carrier dome. Number 15, Clemson at Virginia Tech. Uh, Baylor got rolled on Tuesday night at home by West Virginia. And what was a bit of surprise. So I had to knock them out of the top 25 and one had to find a new school uh, to replace them with. And I looked at a handful of schools, uh, Butler, I looked at TCU, I looked at, I ultimately settled on Virginia Tech. That's a pretty good resume that, uh, Buzz Williams team has right now. That, they took this horrendous loss. Like, we might have to do a 30 for 30 on how they lost to St. Louis way back in November. Uh, let's not overreact. <laughs> but, but they took a horrendous loss to St. Louis way back when. Uh, but since then, zero sub 50 Ken Palm losses. They have won five, uh, six of their last eight games, and in that stretch, they have beaten North Carolina uh, and Virginia. And so I've got Virginia Tech at number 26 in the top 25 and one, uh, but I'm going to need them to handle Clemson at home if they want to stay, I think. Can they handle Clemson at home? Yeah, I think they're going to win this game. I don't know what to make of Virginia Tech resume-wise and team-wise right now. Um Chris Clark's been good, but he hasn't been as good as I thought he was going to be. They've got a fun freshman, uh, Nick Alexander-Walker, who I think will grow into, like, I think a year from now, I think Alexander-Walker, we might look up and he'll be, like, one of the ten best sophomores in the sport. I think he's going to make a big jump next year. Uh, and he's been solid overall. But when I watch him, um, it just doesn't seem like the, the kind of team that I expected it to be defensively for Buzz. And Buzz, like, he hasn't always had great defensive teams, obviously, and he's been trying to get that going since he got to Virginia Tech. If I believe, like, I'm not remembering any of his Vatech teams being um, outstanding. I thought I expected to jump there. I think they'll win this game against Clemson. Um, but, listen, I've got no problem admitting just there, there are a few teams every year where even if I watch them five, six, seven games, I never get a good grasp on them. Virginia Tech is that team for me. Like, I almost think this team is destined to be in the 8-9 game, and I'm going to have a hard time talking myself into picking them to win that no matter the opponent because I just – I'm just not sure. Like, they – that win at Virginia is, like, insane. That was great. I don't even get how they did that. But uh, but I think they get done against Clemson. And, and so I, I would think that's borderline lock territory. They couldn't afford to lose every game and still get in, I don't think. But winning against Clemson will go a long way to uh, to firming up their resume and, and putting them on a nice seed line. And obviously Clemson has lost uh, two straight. They lost at Florida State in overtime last Wednesday night on Valentine's Day. And then um, lost on Sunday at home to Duke in what was a fun game. Obviously, Duke was without Marvin Bagley, but uh, still was able to get that uh, that win on the road. So Clemson's got a two-game losing streak, and unless they're able to upset the Hokies, that's going to turn into a three-game losing streak for a team that um, is still ranked in the top 15 of the AP poll. Number 17, Michigan at Penn State. We talked about Penn State a little bit on, I don't know, maybe it was last Wednesday's podcast that you know Pat Chambers has got them like right there in a position to make the NCAA tournament. And I think it's like imp- super important. And this is like something we could spend some more time on another time. But in this year where the Big Ten has been disappointing, I mean, Michigan State's great, Purdue's great, but 
and Ohio State's a surprise, and Michigan is rock solid. But Northwestern was supposed to be a top 25 team, just isn't, just a disaster. Minnesota was supposed to be a top 25 team, disaster. And it's so important for programs that aren't usually operating in the top tier to, like, take advantage of that. Like, hey, the middle of our league has gotten really mediocre. Like, can we can we take advantage of that? And not just take advantage of it, but, like, turn it into contract extensions. Like, Tim Miles and Pat Chambers, I don't know how many people did different hot seat lists before the season started, but Tim at Nebraska, Pat at Penn State, they were both on those lists. And yet they've been able to coach them, their, their teams into a position where it's sitting here on February 21st and both have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't think this is a must-win for Penn State, but a win over a Michigan team that's ranked 17th in the AP poll um, would be good because uh, – let me double-check what Penn State has done lately. But I think they've won a whole bunch in a row with the only loss in the stretch being at Purdue. Yeah, they've won f- four of the last five. And – the only loss in that stretch is a 76-73 Sunday night loss to to Purdue. So obviously no shame in that. It was at Purdue. So if you can bounce back from that, handle Michigan at home, and suddenly you've got um, a stretch where you've won five of six, including victories over Maryland, Ohio State, and Michigan, only loss in that stretch at Purdue – and then on Sunday, how big is this game going to be? Penn State at Nebraska. You've really put yourself in a in a nice spot. I think Penn State's in a nice spot here. Yeah. Oh my gosh, GP. We. Are, I mean, eight days from now, I'm going to be at the Big Ten tournament, Madison Square Garden. That's freaking surreal to think about. Um, Penn State winning this. How, is it, how crazy is that on Sunday? Like one of the biggest games is really going to be Penn State Nebraska. It's freaking ridiculous. That's what I'm telling <laughs> you right now. It's just outlandish. Okay, and Michigan. Coming in to State College, Penn State, you got a big opportunity here. Listen, the Big Ten tournament will provide us opportunities, but in a lot of ways it feels like Penn State's whole season rides on these next two games. You win both of them. You beat Michigan at home. You steal one on the road at Nebraska. Penn State has nothing to to boast about in the non-conference. It's, it's fairly a joke in terms of the wins they have and uh, the losses that they accrued. So all they are doing here is trying to pick up enough iron in their system from the from the meek Big Ten schedule to have just a good enough resume. It's a that's a big game with some importance there. Uh I will say that Michigan's gonna take this game from Penn State and I will tradi- I'll pick the traditionally more powerful basketball program. Are you gonna go Nitty Lions at home? I'll go Nitty Lions at home. Like have you watched them lately? I mean they're like they're they look Tony like Carr's good. good stuff, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. Tony Carr is a good player. Yeah, no, they're good. And um if I'm Pat, all I want to do is I want to split these next two. It's like either give me the Michigan win, I'll take the Nebraska loss, or give me a, a Michigan loss, I'll take the Nebraska win. I think if they split them, they go into the Big Ten tournament. Um, certainly not a lock, but like they're right there. You know, if you if you can split these next two games, you're going to be in, in a good good. You'll be in a good spot. It's certainly a way better spot than Penn State basketball used to is used to being in. And that Penn State Nebraska game on Sunday, like um, that that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about it a little bit more. On uh, Friday, Alabama at number 12, Auburn, Alabama, obviously coming off a loss, Auburn coming off a loss as well at South Carolina. Big number on this one, Auburn eight and a half point favorite being so shorthanded. They're now three key players down from what they thought they were going to have in the preseason. Um, I think Auburn can probably win at home, but I'd, I'd probably take eight and a half points. I think I would take eight and a half points, too. I will take Auburn to win. Bama won this first game back on January 17th, 76-71. Colin Sexton um, has been – he's been a good player. I would say he has not been a great player, but that's okay. He's a freshman. Um, I would love to see him step up to the moment here and play really, really well because he's been a little bit inconsistent against uh, the best competition he's faced this season. This is an 8.30 tip on uh, on Wednesday night here. And Alabama, um, I think he's going to get into the tournament, but, like – getting the win at Auburn, and then you're going to see the top of their schedule, and you're going to be like, there's no way you can possibly keep the tide out of the field with all the good wins that they have. So this would be pretty important for Auburn, see how they play without McLemore, obviously out for the season. Uh, it's a it's a pretty tough call. So we've both got Auburn winning, but Bama covering. GP, I don't know what else you've got on Thursday. Just real quick here. Um, just keep an eye. Florida, Tennessee, Florida, obviously they're just like flirting with absolute disaster here. Can they steal it from Tennessee? Uh, and then Seton Hall, Providence. 
it's not a game of huge consequence, but for the loser, I feel like they're going to be pressing a bit. Seton Hall's dropped four of its last five. Providence has dropped two of its last three, including a home loss to DePaul here. Now, they won at Villanova in between that, but the loser there, I think, is going to be squeezing just a little bit. So there's two more games to keep an eye on on Wednesday. We do have a stacked night of college basketball. Yeah, it, um, it should be fun. I had Tennessee uh, and Florida here. Florida, of course, has lost two straight. Tennessee has lost two of its past three. Both schools have lost to Georgia in that stretch. So, uh, listen, with two struggling teams, I, uh, I'll probably take the higher-ranked team that happens to be at home. That's the Vols inside Thompson Bowling Arena. They're laying four-and-a-half points. Um, you know, who knows? But uh, I, I think Tennessee probably does extend Florida's losing streak uh, to three. You ready to go do something else? Yeah, man, let's do something else. We gotta, we gotta wrap up here. And, uh, well, just, we won't pick the games, but Thursday, just keep an eye. Arizona State at Oregon, uh, UCLA, Utah. If Utah wins Thursday night, we maybe we'll give the, the youth a little bit of love there because they could be developing quite the nice resume. And then Arizona has randomly been shaky at Oregon State in years past. Um, maybe having some problems with the zone there. So just keep an eye on that overall. But Wednesday night is the big night, the big games to know. And um, shout out to uh, I'm I'm doing I'm making the call right now. Shout out to our best sounding podcast. Yet we are not only using the right equipment for recording, but uh, the stuff we got over our ears and, and talking into. So for those who have stuck with us over the years, <laughs> listen. And we, we we do have to wrap this up and get out of here. But I want to give a heartfelt shout out again to the audience because trust me. Like, I know it's been frustrating sometimes when the volume levels and the actual tone of our voices, the audio quality has been different. We have been battling this battle for years, but I am almost positive we have finally got I wouldn't got said all this until you listen back to it at least. Nope, I'm, I'm calling my shot here. I'm calling the shot. Right. I'm, I'm that confident. And if it isn't good enough, then you know what? You've listened, and now we've reached this point, and uh, it sounds like what it sounds, and we're still going to keep trying but I don't think that's the case. I think we finally arrived, and uh, it's great. It's great to be here. Just know that, uh, however much it's frustrating, however much it frustrates you guys, like it frustrates me more. Like I get, I get, I, it actually changes my mood. Yes. <laughs> like I get, oh my I gosh, get, you, yeah. I get up, I get upset and bothered, and send emails just like criticizing everything and threatening to quit the podcast <laughs> if we can't make it sound better, sound better. So hopefully. I'll say this. We've got all the right equipment now. If we can't get this, this, this deal correct now, it's like, it's probably a human error issue as opposed to the equipment issue because we, we've invested a lot of money in equipment to make this happen. So we'll, uh, fingers crossed and, uh, fingers crossed. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF. Shouts to T-Bone. Legend. And, uh, and T-Bone Matlock down in Oxford. <laughs> Please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. Hey, write a comment about how awesome it sounds. Crystal clear. <laughs> That'll cancel out all the other ones. Uh, we will talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care.